0: Father, we are here to worship you in the splendor of your holiness. And we uh, thank you, Lord, for the great majesty that you have revealed to us and the great mercy that you've revealed to us in your Son. So as we come now to study your word, be our teacher, and we pray. Guide us in this time. Would our hearts be open to your spirit and to a word of challenge, a word of encouragement, whatever word we ourselves need from you this morning. We pray in his matchless name. Amen. Amen. Invite to turn with me to the same passage that we looked at last week in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to pick up in verse 12. Read through to the end of verse 26. If you have a pew Bible, you'll find this on page 959. Last week our heading was Gospel Unity. This week we look at the same text to consider gospel diversity, thinking particularly about race in the context of the church. So let's read together 1 Corinthians 12. I'll start in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ Christ. where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But, as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many, member, many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, together. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Do you like my Barry White voice this morning? Bear with me, okay? So in the early 1960s, a young man, a young white man who'd been active in the civil rights movement entered seminary with the intention of working for racial justice as an ordained pastor. As he approached graduation, however, he vowed that he would take an all-white church in an area where the remnants of segregation still continued and that for five years he would not speak a word about race relations. Why? Because when he did finally speak on these matters, he wanted his congregation to hear not the voice of some young, arrogant seminary student, but the pleas of a loving Savior who cares about racial justice. Well, things went well for three years until one Sunday morning, a communion morning like we have ourselves today this young pastor went up to the pulpit to begin the service, and as he did so, did so he saw in the back uh, an African-American couple coming in and trying to take their seats. And ushers from his church were forbidding them from doing so and trying to shoo them out the door. So down this young pastor went. He grabbed the plate. He grabbed the cup. He pursued them down the aisle and gave them elements to this black couple and said, At the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Well, that was his last Sunday at that church. He was fired that very week. Reflecting on these events a few years later, he wrote, Up to that point, my silence on race was the silence of obedience, but if I had not responded in the way that I did, my silence would have become the silence of disobedience. In the gospel, we are one, and we saw this last week. It's a delightful truth, and it's a profound truth. United to a Holy Spirit, we are also united to each other. If you are a Christian this morning, then the same Holy Spirit that lives in me lives in you. There's a deep connection between us. At the core of who we are and the very essence of our being, we are one. We share the same spiritual DNA. We have the same spiritual blood. But our oneness does not make us the same. We're one, but we're not the same. Look at verse 14. For the body, Paul says, does not consist of one member, but of many. Then he lists hands and feet, ears and eyes, all the different parts of the body. Look at verse 19. He says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? So unity, yes. Uniformity, no. We are one, but we are not the same. And that's something that we celebrate. That's something that we celebrate. The fact that there is male and female and young and old and black and white and rich and poor and extrovert and introvert and special needs and disabilities. There are differences between us. All are equal in value and in dignity. And we are one. But that does not mean that we are the same. And don't you love this? Don't you love that we worship a God who is endlessly creative. I always think of this when it comes to food. You know, God didn't need to make food taste good. We could live in a world without flavor. And yet, he made bacon and eggs. Right? He made chicken and salmon. And then he made steak. <laughs> and said, it is very good. <laughs> and then he thought, mm, we're not quite done yet. Let's do T-bone and filet mignon, right? We come to a God who is endlessly diverse and has created diversity that we might enjoy him more. This world could be bland. It could be flavorless. It could be all porridge and oatmeal, but God had a better plan. And what's true of food is true of the rest of the world. Think of the broadness and beauty of the experience we can have as human beings. Poetry and music and dance. Technology, science and math. Uh, beauty and sex and romance, all these things that God has made, they were all his idea. He hasn't made his world bland. He hasn't made it lifeless. He hasn't made it dull. He has made a world that's endlessly diverse. Well, what's true of food and what's true of the world is also true of us. So it is with us. We have nationality and ethnicity. Different education, different ex- experiences, different personalities, different politics, different passions, different preferences. None of us is the same, and we're grateful for it. We are glad God made us diverse. The world tastes better this way. It tastes better this way. We're one, but we're not the same. Now, in our text, having made this point, Paul goes on to highlight two reasons why we celebrate this kind of diversity. He gives us the the whys behind our celebration of diversity. Let's look at these two whys briefly together. First of all, he teaches us in verse 21 that we celebrate diversity because diversity is valuable. We celebrate diversity because diversity is valuable. Look again at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We need all of our body parts. Each one plays a vital role. If any of them are missing, we ourselves can't be whole. And so it is. In the church, Paul says, using the body as a picture, an illustration for the church. We are healthy when we recognize, when we realize that we need the differences that each other brings. That we need the diversity that comes from our friends. That each of us plays a vital role and without any of us, we can, in a sense, be whole. Let me... I'll give you an example of how this plays out, of how diversity has been valuable in, in my life. I have a, a friend, a black man in his 40s, who helped me understand some of the nuance amidst all the controversy surrounding the phrase, black lives matter. And he came to me and he said, you need to understand that when people use this phrase, when people say black lives matter, they mean a lot of different things. Sometimes it's used as simply an objective truth. But for some, it's become an ideological slogan. And for others still, it's synonymous with a political movement. So what's important isn't so much the phrase itself, but what people mean when they use it. So when you hear it, be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Ask questions and understand, what does this person mean when they say this phrase? What are they intending to communicate? Maybe they're just saying that simple objective truth, in which case we would want to add a strong amen. Maybe they mean something more, in which case perhaps a dialogue can begin. You see, my friend and I were different to each other. Our skin color our cultural and life experiences, and these differences make us valuable to each other. We are attuned to different issues. We're able to translate cultural things for each other. We can learn from each other. We work better together when apart. Without friends of different races, I flourish less. And I hope and trust he would say the same about me without my friendship he will flourish less that's the beauty of god's design he has arranged all the pieces that we might flourish and be better together and so we need diversity and we celebrate diversity why point one because it's valuable Secondly, though, in verse 18 and following, Paul makes another point, which is we celebrate diversity not just because it's valuable, but also because it's beautiful. Because it's beautiful. Look at verse 18. We see there's more to this than pragmatism. God arranged the members of the body, we read, each one of them as he chose. God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would... The body be. He's saying the differences between us aren't accidental, far less a necessary evil. The differences between us have been designed. God has designed these differences intentionally and carefully, and then he's arranged us all together to make an intelligible whole, to make something beautiful. Who, think of the picture that's been used. Who wants a face without diversity? Imagine you had ears for ears and ears for eyes and then ears for your nose and an ear for your mouth and then loads of ears for hair, right? You'd look weird, right? Um, No one ever went to the plastic surgeon to request that look. Well, so is the church without diversity. One grotesque amalgamation of ears, (laughs) That's not what God has designed. He has designed his bride to be beautiful. We have ears, but we also have eyes and a mouth. We have a sparkle. We have a, a smile. Each one balanced and arranged to make us something beautiful. The different features of the face are what make a beauty. And the different features of the church are what bring beauty. Leon Crump is an African American pastor in Atlanta, and on Easter Sunday just three weeks ago, someone scrawled three stark letters across the sign that directs you to his church. They wrote K K K Easter Sunday. Well, Crump took a picture of the sign and he tweeted it out with the words: "The evil one lashes out, but God is victorious." #Hashtag Easter. Another pastor, Ray Artland, a, a white man and a friend of Crump's, uh, tweeted, Hey, KKK, come vandalize me too. We are one. Now, I love these two men. I love these two men. I love Crump for showing courage in response to cowardice and to giving love in response to hate. Hashtag Easter, baby. The resurrection makes All things well. All things well. And I love Artland too. Why? Because he's reminding us some 2,000 years after Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians that believers of every color are one. But here's the point. The beauty of their unity is found in their diversity. The beauty of their unity isn't found in the fact that they're the same but the fact that they are different and one. The beauty is found in the diversity. The two of them are modeling the kind of balance and proportion we want to see upon the face. Side by side, their differences shine a beautiful light to the world around. This is what the new humanity should look like. Diverse, yet one. And in the same way for us, the differences in the church should make us Herman Bavinck, Dutch theologian, once wrote, The image of God is much too rich for it to be fully realized in a single human being. However richly gifted that human being may be, the image of God can only be somewhat unfolded in its depth and riches in a humanity counting billions of members. Each member is... A jigsaw piece that together God puts to form the whole. He has designed and arranged us with all our differences and in these very differences to make something beautiful. So, diversity is something that we celebrate. We celebrate because it's valuable. We celebrate because it's beautiful. Which means, friends... We've got some thinking to do. As a church this morning, we've got some thinking to do. Earlier we said that there are many differences between us, and this morning clearly I focused on race. And if you're wondering why I've done that, there are two two reasons. The first reason is that our text, verse 12, draws specific attention to the way in which the gospel unites different people Groups. Jews and Greeks, we read, are one in Jesus Christ. And so we need to figure out how this gospel truth that Jesus Christ unites different people groups, how does that apply to us today? That's the first reason I've focused on race. The second reason, if you're wondering why I've focused on race, well, just look around. <laughs> you know, just look around. Um, we are um, a very white congregation. We're a very white congregation. At MPC, there's a lot here to celebrate. There really is. We have a long and beautiful history of global missions. We have a diverse collection of church planters and an increasingly diverse collection of church plants. We have growing diversity on our staff and in our new members. We have dozens of different nationalities who worship together in our pews, and as a next step in our maturity, as a next step down that trajectory that we are already on, it would be good for our church to grow in our racial diversity, for us to look more like the area that we're in, for the complexion of our church to match the complexion of our community. How will this happen? As your pastor, I can tell you. Are you ready? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I'm encouraged. Uh, I'm encouraged by all I'm seeing. I'm encouraged by the increasing diversity we have. I'm really encouraged by the heart of our people. This is a great church with a great heart on most issues and on this issue as well. But I also confess that I've got a lot to learn and that this topic is hard at best. But let me say two things this morning. Not as some kind of expert, but as your pastor who loves you. First, let me say a word to those who do bring some color to our church. You know, I'm a Scot, moved here uh, from Scotland. I have an immigrant story of my own, and there are some things about America that are strange to me. Example, Groundhog Day. Can you imagine my face, right? When like this really sweet gal in summary, so I'm like, so you're telling me a creature comes out the ground and it looks for its shadow and depending on what happens, we know whether to buy sunglasses or not, right? They're like, this, I don't feel like the weird one here, okay? <laughs> um, some things in America change me, Groundhog Day. Um, parades, I don't understand. Um, Certain cultural things, certain sensibilities, and you know, of course, there are also parts of me that only come out really when I'm with fellow Scots. There are aspects of humor, there's a lot of vocabulary. Parts of me that only come out then. Now, don't get me wrong, I think you all know we love it here, and overall our journey's been very smooth. Uh, We love our life, and we've enjoyed the transition too, but... Our experiences have caused me to wonder, have caused me to imagine what it's like for people who feel different in some way. And so I wonder, so I imagine what it's like to attend our church if you're not white. I I, I wonder what that's like. If you're black or Asian or Hispanic or a combination or something else, what's it like to attend this church? Now, I'm sure there's no one answer to that question. I'm sure everyone's had a different experience. I'm sure there are as many answers as there are, people, but I'm also sure that it's not always been easy. I'm also sure it's not always been easy. And for that, I want to honor you. Your presence here is valuable. Your presence here makes us more beautiful. We are better together, and your presence here makes it possible for us to be so. And I look forward to listening and to learning more. Word of honor to those who bring some color to our church. Secondly, a word to to those who bring a lot of whiteness to our church, right? Um, Here's what I want to say this morning as we begin this conversation. Diversity is not true diversity if it requires zero self-reflection or change from the majority culture. Let me say that again. Diversity is not true diversity if it requires zero self-reflection or change from the majority culture. Let me give you an illustration. Remember when you went to college, right? Think back to when you were going off to college and... uh, You were looking around and you you found a roommate, a group of of new friends that you were going to be able to move in in with. So you pack up all your stuff, all your stuff that you love—you know, your favourite clothes, your best music, um, that poster for your wall. You put it all in your bag and you head off. Well, you arrive and you knock at the door, and a smiling person opens and says, "Oh, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here. You you can come in, but just leave your bag outside." And you say, "I've got a poster for my wall." And they say, oh, don't worry. We've got posters you can use. And you say, well, I've got, I brought my favorite CDs. And they say, oh, no, you can listen to our music. And you say, well, <laughs> what about my clothes? <laughs> All right? And they say, oh, we've got clothes. You can dress like us. What are you going to think? You're going to think, um, they want someone that sound like to pay rent. <laughs> they want someone to do their bit. But it doesn't really sound like they want me here. They want me, but they don't want my stuff, whether that's baggage or whether it's things that I love. Diversity that requires zero self-reflection or change from the majority culture is token, and it's superficial. It's like inviting someone in without any desire to make room, and that's not who we want to be. We want to be a church who makes room for people as they are, not for as we might want someone to be. And so here's my question to get the conversation started. How can we make room? That's my question. How can we make room? How can we make in our room in our own lives to grow in our understanding of these issues, develop, to develop friendships across traditional lines? Here's two things I'm doing. First of all, like a good Presbyterian, I'm reading. I'm reading, I'm broadening horizons, I'm deepening my understanding. A great place to start would be a book called Divided by Faith by Michael Emerson and Christian Smith. It's an engaging and helpful introduction to the kind of issues that we're discussing today. The second thing I'm doing is uh, I'm reading and then secondly I'm talking. Um, We can't process these things alone. We need conversations in the context of diverse friendships. Uh, No one people group can sit together and figure this out. We need to be having uh, conversations with diverse friendships. And so our pastoral team, which consists of six white men, two black men, two Asian men, now meet together once a month to discuss these issues. And I'm listening and learning a lot. How can you make room in your life uh, to read? How can you make room in your life to talk? And how about in our church? How can we make room here in our attitudes, in our dispositions, in our prayers, in our worship style, in our leadership selections, in our community groups. I don't know all the answers, but I think these are the right questions. Why would we do this? It's a good question, isn't it? Why would a church that, where things are going so well, why would we long for a change in our life? And why would a pastor at a church where things are going so well stand up and like address these things? <laughs> Um, Especially, I realized the irony afterwards of starting on a sermon illustration about a pastor who got fired. (laughs) It's like, didn't think that one through, right? Um, Why would we think about these things? And the answer is not because of our culture. Not because race is a hot button in our culture right now. And certainly not because of some kind of white guilt. But because we see a more beautiful path that leads to heaven itself. In heaven itself, in this very moment, there's a diverse multitude that sings, gathered before the throne, praising the Lamb for spilling his blood for every people and nation and tongue. And Jesus is the one who's bridged this infinite gap, the chasm between earth and our true home. And now this same Christ gives us the grace to bridge divides of our own. So we might find We don't just experience the kingdom when we read Revelation, but we find that his kingdom has come. Diversity is valuable. Diversity makes us beautiful. It means we've got some thinking to do, but we're on the right tracks, and we can take next steps by considering how we can make room. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful for a church that has had a culture of grace and a culture of mission, a church that has understood all that we have is by your goodness to us, and a church that has understood that uh, that good news creates an outward-facing impulse where we wouldn't just stay to ourselves, but we'd seek uh, to share the gospel with others. Lord, that plays out globally, and it does in profound and important ways, and we want to be about that work. And it also plays out locally, and we want to be about that work as well. So, Lord, give us grace as a people. Give us grace as a congregation that we might, little by little, more and more, learn what it means to be the kind of church here that, if Jesus returned, he would feel right at home. And it's in his perfect name that we pray these things. Amen. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn uh, one page back, maybe not even that, uh, one page over to 1 Corinthians 11 where we receive instruction on the Lord's Supper. Verse 23, for I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after sup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's a reason why that pastor could take bread and cup and pursue a young black couple down the and there's a reason for us to hope that in our lives and in our church we can bridge similar divides. And that reason is nothing but Jesus himself, the one who pursued us to make us his own. For him, bread and cup were, were body and blood, uh, those things that were broken and torn. So that that ultimate gap, the ultimate chasm created by our sin might in him and by his grace be fully and completely forgiven. Our joy and our celebration this morning is in a savior whose death we proclaim and now whose resurrection uh, we proclaim. Gives us hope for eternity, gives us hope for time, gives us all that we need to make it till that great day and to navigate life until then. So if you believe in this Jesus, if this Jesus is your savior, if you have felt him chase you down the aisle with his body and his blood, then come and take of this meal. Be reminded and assured that the forgiveness of his grace that he offers to you, it's it's, it's real. If you don't believe in this Jesus, then we ask you to, to let this meal pass you by. Pass you by and use this time instead to reflect upon whether this morning you hear him calling your name. Is he following you out of the church this morning and pleading with you to accept the forgiveness and life that he offers you in his name? We believe that he is and ask that you would be attentive to that voice so that next time we celebrate this meal, you would come take and eat with us. Now, as we do before every meal, let's bow our heads together in prayer.